Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com slash products. Here's today's episode. Today, I'll cover three mental myths that you need to stop believing to become a great doubles player. But before we get to that, a few quick announcements. So uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday, the 27th of February. This will go live on the 28th. uh, And I'm going to be driving down to Austin, Texas for the ATX Open. I'll be there through Sunday. So if you're listening to this and you're attending uh, and want to watch some doubles with me, then shoot me an email, will at thetennistribe.com. I'll also be at Indian Wells uh, starting next Thursday uh, through the following Tuesday, and then I'm considering going to Miami and the Houston Open as well, which is in early April. Um, so if you're attending any of those, definitely reach out. I would love to meet you and watch some doubles. Uh, this is the beginning of our focus on kind of the mental side of doubles. This is a very intangible uh, side. It's not as as clear as a lot of the strategy that I've taught in the past. Obviously, in January and early February, we went went over net play strategy that ended in the uh, net play uh, video masterclass. And and this is going to end in a masterclass as well. Um, But a lot of this is, is a little bit um, like I said, less tangible. It's it's a little more difficult to um, prescribe. You know, position position yourself here or move to this spot when you see this. Uh, the mental side is very kind of taboo, and I wanted to start with some myths that I feel like a lot of players, especially at the club level, believe, uh, but they're not true. And if you can kind of get over these, then I believe uh, it will help you become a more confident and, and better. A doubles player. Uh, I'll be releasing more mental lessons on the Instagram channel, the YouTube channel, and then also in the newsletter. So if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, be sure to subscribe. Uh, this past week, I went over how to prepare for a match mentally and actually uh, gave you a um, an exact kind of 30 to 45 minute warm up that I like to follow uh, before my matches that helped me come out of the gates uh, really strongly and uh, prepare both physically and mentally. So uh, go to thetennistribe.com and you can subscribe to the newsletter on the homepage. Uh, and all of those newsletter lessons that I write out, sometimes it's a video, um, are for newsletter subscribers only. So you have to be subscribed to get the access to those uh, to those lessons. So anyways, let's dive into these three mental myths. So number one is great players don't get nervous. So a lot of us think that Nadal or Djokovic or Serena or Federer uh, or Venus or whoever it is, 
they are pro players and they just don't get nervous in the same way that we do. Uh, the reality is everyone gets nervous. Um, even Novak Djokovic, even Serena Williams, even Rafael Nadal, everybody gets nervous and they the nerves affect everyone the same. So that feeling you get when you have a second serve and you're down break point to lose the set or to lose the match or even to win the match, um, if you're ser- trying to serve out the match, uh, that's the same nervous feeling that the pro level players get. So what is the difference between them and us? Uh, a, I believe that it is they have more experience dealing with those nerves. So they play obviously a lot more tennis and they're in those pressure situations more often. So they know how to handle the nerves. But that doesn't mean that over time those nerves go away. Uh, if you watched the the 60 Minutes um I think it was last fall with Djokovic, he talked about how um, he still gets nervous in his matches. And um, one of the things that they learn to do is uh, what I like to call dance with the fear. So um, there's an author that I follow uh, named Seth Godin, and he uh, uses this phrase called dance with the fear. You have to learn how to dance with the fear. So when you get nervous, you have to figure out what works best for you and learn how to Um, not get upset with yourself for getting nervous, not try to get rid of the nerves, but learn how to act with courage despite the nerves. Learn how to uh, serve and volley because you know it's the right strategy, even though you're nervous about coming forward. Or uh, make that poach across the the net, even though um, you're scared you might get beat down the line. You, You have to really use courage and act despite the nervous energy that you have. So um, there's a lot of things that can help with this. I'm not going to cover them all here, uh, but you do have to figure out what works best for you and kind of go through your routines and have kind of a game plan for when you do get nervous because it it does happen to everyone. So let's move on to myth number two. Uh, This is um, the myth that losing a point is bad. So this is simply not true. Uh, the The best players in the world, this is a stat I've thrown around in the past. I, I don't think I've mentioned it on the show in a while, but the best players in the world win about 55% of their points. This is a stat I learned from Craig O'Shaughnessy at Brain Game Tennis. Uh, it's for singles players. Uh, the same is true for doubles players. In general, if you win a match, let's say 6-4, 6-3, you're going to win about 55 to 60% of those points. So if you think about that another way, uh, that means if you played an 11-pointer, you're going to win that match about 11-9 or 11-8, which you would consider a pretty close 11-pointer. But the match turns out to be 6-3, 6-4, and it's a relatively straightforward win for you. So the margins are very, very small. So you have to think about um, when when you lose a point, you have to think about why you lost that point. Um, so what if you forced a low percentage down the line shot and they made it? So that's okay. That's a shot that they're only going to make three, maybe four out of 10 times. So you're going to win six out of 10 of those points. And that was just one of those three or four shots. But that's okay. You had a good process. You did the right things. And they came up with a good shot. But that's not going to be sustainable for them throughout the course of the match. So losing that point, losing a point that way is not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing because 
they might think that they can make that six out of 10 times, but you know that it's a low percentage shot and they probably won't do that. And if they do start to make it consistently, obviously you make an adjustment. Um, If you end the point with a missed easy volley or a missed easy overhead up at the net, uh, that's not a bad point to lose. That's actually uh, a, a point that you had such a good process that it resulted in a pretty easy put away shot for you that you just happen to miss. And you'll make that shot seven, eight, nine out of 10 times. So if you continue that process, you're probably going to win the point. So we constantly have to be thinking about this kind of six out of 10 number. Um, at the end of each point, ask yourself, uh, was that a six out of 10 point where I'm going to win at least six out of 10 of those? Or was that a, a four out of 10 point where uh, I'm only going to win you know, three or four out of 10 of those? And if you can play more of those kind of six out of 10 points where you have a good process, where you're doing the right things, where you're forcing low percentage shots, then you're going to increase your odds of winning the match. So losing a point is just part of the uh, the game of tennis. Um, it's not something that uh, needs to be avoided at all costs. Just because you lost a point doesn't mean you had a bad process. You should actually look at it um, from that kind of six out of 10 and four out of 10 perspective. Another point on this is that uh, some points will set up later more important points. So a lot of times early in a match, if you let's say you hit a ball down the line at the opposing net player, uh, they volley it through the middle and you lost the point. That might be a good point to lose because you're showing them that you're willing to hit that ball down the line. And that might open up the cross court return or cross court rally a little bit later because they're nervous you're going to go for that down the line shot again. So you're sacrificing that one point early in the match to open up the cross court shot later in the match, which means you're going to win two, three, four extra points by sacrificing that one point early. Um, Or maybe you're moving a bunch at the net early in the match and you're going to miss a couple of volleys or get beat down the line. But ultimately, that's going to apply a lot of pressure on that baseline player and they're going to create a lot more errors as a result of your movement. So sometimes you have to lose points early to win more points later in the match. So losing a point is not a bad thing. Um, You really need to look into why you lost the point and if it's a good process. Um, Again, think about those percentages and that kind of six, seven out of 10 uh, number um, and asking yourself that at the end of the point. So the third mental myth that we need to stop believing is if you miss or get beat down the line, it's your fault that you lost the point. So I see this all the time at the club level. It frustrates me a lot. Uh, Even I find myself doing it sometimes, which I I know I shouldn't. Um, But people will miss a shot or they'll poach and miss the volley or they'll get beat down the line because they're too far to the middle. And they'll walk back to their partner and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. In reality, that is not your fault. Um, There's uh, it doubles is a team sport. Um, if you listen to my interview with Neil Skupski, uh, I talked to him about uh, the first match they played at the Dallas Open where his partner Santiago Gonzalez uh, is the player who got broken. He um, had more break points faced on his serve. And I had asked Santi about that in the post-match interview. And 
Neil was very quick to jump in and say, well, just because we were struggling more with Santi's serve doesn't mean his serve is the problem. It could be that I missed too many volleys at the net or I wasn't moving well enough. Um, So it's a team sport and every single point has so much detail and nuance that you can't blame one person. Um, Not only is it incorrect, it's also unhelpful and it it kind of can ruin your your team chemistry a little bit. It can, can kind of degrade that a bit. So if you move and miss a volley uh, and you go back and say, I'm sorry, or you think it's your fault, well, what if you miss the volley because your partner gave the opponent a short forehand and they had an easy shot that they ripped down the line at you or they hit cross court and you were trying to poach? Then it's your partner's fault for giving them the short forehand, right? But what if they got the short forehand because you were hugging the alley when your partner was serving, so the opponent had a really easy, big cross-court return? They hit this big cross-court return. Your partner was back at the baseline defending. It resulted in a short, easy forehand for the opponent, and then you missed the volley. So maybe it's your fault because you were hugging the alley too much. But what if you were hugging the alley because your partner has a really weak second serve and the opponent has ripped it down the line at you and you feel like you're getting picked on up there? So we can keep going through this on every single point. We can um, constantly blame one person, then blame the other, then blame... And it's just not very helpful. So um, there's no reason to think about it in terms of, you know, it's my fault we lost that point or it's your fault we lost that point. Let's instead kind of problem solve together and figure out what can we do to improve our odds of winning these future points. Um, If it's the case that we diagnose it all the way back to a weak second serve and my hands aren't good enough with your second serve, uh, the combination of your second serve and the opponent's really strong return, then maybe I need to step back a little bit. Or maybe uh, we need to play two back on um, your second serve even. Uh, which is something I've done in the past. I don't recommend it a lot, but there are scenarios where it makes sense. Um, So you really have to think about this as a team and and not um, go into blaming yourself or blaming your partner uh, if you lose a specific point. Really, the only point that is your fault specifically is a double fault. Um, And even that, there's scenarios where it may not be. Um, Maybe there was a point earlier where the game should have been over Uh, and you really shouldn't even be serving anymore. Or maybe uh, your partner really wants to run this formation and it's having you uh, double fault more often than you normally would. There's always scenarios. So um, outside of the double fault, I think, you know, in general, you cannot blame yourself or your partner for a a lost point. Um, So those are three mental myths that hopefully I've helped kind of clarify for you and help you think about them in a different way uh, that can help you going forward into your next match. So again, we're going to be covering this a lot more uh, over the next month. I'm hoping to have the masterclass available uh, by the end of March. That's the plan right now. Um, Like I said, I've got a lot of travel over the next several weeks, so we'll see um, how it goes. But uh, if you all have any questions You can always reach out if you're going to be attending any of the tournaments that I mentioned before. Uh, Reach out. I would love to meet you, and I will talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, 
I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to thetennistribe.com slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at thetennistribe.com.